and the oscar goes to tom hanks in philadelphia and the oscar goes to lupita nyong'o and the oscar goes to halle berry in monsters ball and the oscar goes to hilary swank in boys don't cry and the winner is marvelous meryl streep and the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. Welcome to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I am the other, other child that Brenda Bleffen forgot that she actually had in Secrets and Lies, Joey Gentile. And my justice would freeze beer. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. And this is the class of 1996. <sighs> we are almost done. We're uh, halfway through the 90s. Halfway through. We've, we're officially over the hump, and it's smooth sailing from here. Mm-hmm. I'm excited, though, because I feel like the, the closer we get per year... We're getting towards the quote-unquote modern times, and I'm just really, really excited to start talking about films that came out in the last 10 years and not, like, 20 years and 30 years. And Right, and I think the closer we get to the present, the more people have seen, listener-wise, and the people who interact with us on Twitter. So I know mm. a lot of the more obscure films in the 70s and 80s, a lot of people haven't seen. A lot of them are harder to come by. But the closer we get to the present, I have a feeling people will have seen, like, entire lineups and have opinions one through five on everything. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it opens up a whole new market that I feel like, like you said, maybe isn't tapped exactly yet with listeners. Right. So I'm excited to um, to get there. But not only that, but, I mean, our listeners have been very dedicated and loyal for us. Um we, we, you know, we're on break right now. We always record in between the break period. And what was it? Just the last week being on break, we surpassed 3.5 thousand downloads. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That was so neat because I'm pretty sure when we went on break, we were at like 3.1 or 3.2. So that means even with us not bringing out new content weekly, like people are still listening to us. Yeah, going back and picking years, and maybe people are listening out of order. You know, they listen after they've they've uh, accomplished whatever year in their completest list. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yes, and but I'm, I'm loving it too because people are more people are like leaving us reviews and stuff, and that always helps out any pod- <clears throat> excuse me that always helps out any podcast because the more you like and review, the more um the platforms advertise for us right so you know if you're on itunes give us a holler if you're on listening on spotify rate it that way it gets to other people as well one of my favorite reviews i think we've gotten so far was actually just a couple days ago where someone perfectly summed us up as the like i've always said we're a really good yin and yang for each other personality wise so different but we mesh so well like we balance each other out and so somebody had said Listening to me is like they compared me to cocaine and they compared you to which to tea. And I yeah. gotta think it's chamomile. And I just think that's an amazing description for us. Well, right now I'm actually drinking decaf black tea. So beautiful. And I'm actually drinking melon Gatorade because I'm nursing the gnarliest hangover I've had in a long time. Very good. 
Uh, not so much. It's 8 p.m., dude. It's been too long. Oh, it's been an all-day hangover. Oh, God, it's so bad. And I haven't had a hangover in a minute, too, so I knew it would be coming eventually. Right. Uh, but anyway, did you get to see Hustlers yet before we dive in? No, I haven't seen very much that's out there right now. Uh, yeah, I have not gotten to Hustlers yet or It Chapter 2 or basically anything that's out there right now making news. Gotta get on the game. I know. But... You know what is coming soon? Screeners. Oh, that's right. Screener season. Did you make? Did you change your address yet? Yeah. So there looking forward to the uh, film independent uh, stuff kicking into gear here in the next couple months or so. Yeah, because the nominees or the nominations should be out in like three weeks or so. Yeah. Oh, really? Is it already that soon? Yeah, dude. They they're the first branch of um of any type of academy, whether it's the critics or the BAFTA or whatever or the Academy Awards themselves, to release any type of nominations. Huh. Yeah, because we're, I mean, this whole award season's, like, in weird early mode this year. So, like, the Academy Awards is the first week in February. Usually they're the last. It's my birthday weekend. Hmm. So we're getting them real soon. But in the meantime, we can get to our nominees here. Right. The 1996 nominees. Yes, yes. Will you take us away on this magical adventure, sir? Sure. So your nominees for Best Actress in a Supporting Role were... Joan Allen in The Crucible. Lauren Bacall in The Mirror Has Two Faces. Juliette Binoche in The English Patient. Barbara Hershey in The Portrait of a Lady. Marianne Jean-Baptiste in Secrets and Lies. All right, let's start off with our winner for the year. We got Juliette Binoche winning for The English Patient. This is her first of two nominations and so far her only win. Going into this, she wins with BAFTA, with the Dallas Film Critics, and she wins the National Board of Review Award, tying with her co-star, Kristen Scott Thomas, who are both lumped into supporting. And uh, Binoche is also recognized at the Golden Globes, with the Chicago Film Critics, and at SAG, both as an individual performer and as a part of her ensemble. In The English Patient, Juliette Binoche plays Hannah, a nurse caring for a badly burned plane crash survivor. So thoughts on Juliette Binoche in The English Patient? I think this is a really, really beautiful performance. I like that it's subtle without being too showy because there's a lot of different types of, of emotion happening with Binoche's character here. I mean, there's there's a point where you as the viewer... You don't know if she's going to, you know, be killed in some type of sneak attack because, you know, it's taking place during the war. She stays behind. You know, you don't really know what's in store for her character. And then so you learn to love her because she's like a humanist. And, you know, you watch her aid this man and, you know, she's very kind. And then all of a sudden she's got like some Tomb Raider skills, like like going like grappling from a ceiling and checking out, you know, the artwork of this place. And um, I think it's really beautiful, but it's also super sad. It's sad for two reasons. Number one, um, it, when I say it's subtle, it's like Benosha's painting a picture. She's painting with every color in her arsenal 
and it really shines through with her characteristics for this character. The other thing that I think that's really sad, though, is that with all this beauty, it's in the wrong category. I definitely think Binoche is the lead here uh, when it comes to the females in this movie, and it makes me really sad to say that because she is really good. Yeah, I really, I really love Juliette Binoche. Um, she's been a staple of world cinema for a few decades now. Uh, she's done some really tremendous work in some really great films over the years. She was just recently in High Life. I don't know if you saw High Life, but she's, she's really good, and it's a pretty out there film that I really liked, and she gives a very interesting performance. I know some, it's a very hot and cold performance with a lot of people, it seems, but I was really digging it. Um, I do like her work in The English Patient. It's not a film that I particularly like. Um, it, kind of, it drags for me, and it's way too long for my taste, but she is giving a very subtle performance here. It doesn't really draw attention to itself in any way. It's not really the type of performance that you're left talking about after it's over. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I think she is doing some really intricate stuff here. Um, I'm on the fence about the category. Um, I'm not sure if she or Thomas are any more lead or supporting than the other. I kind of see them as being on equal footing in a way. Thomas is more, we'll get to her in a little bit, but she, you know, she's more in the flashbacks and stuff. So she's got more action, so to speak, when it comes to this guy's story that Binoche is taking care of. Because, I don't know, maybe the present day, and what I mean by that is like the not flashback parts. I know this takes place in the past, but the, what I'm going to call the present day stuff doesn't really have a whole lot of action when it comes to what this man's life is about you know it's like reminiscing on this period um of the past and she's not really i don't know if she's really driving the action in any way she's sort of just they're a part of this um mural i guess you could call it i'm not sure it's kind of hard to describe but i'm kind of on the fence about category with her and frankly thomas but um, she is doing some really delicate work here in a movie that I think is a little overblown. Yeah, I um, I don't know. Have you ever seen the famous Seinfeld episode where um, uh, oh, Elaine has to or, like fake that she likes the English patient and she just goes off in the theater screaming, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Have yeah. Ever, that's how I feel about this movie. I think that that hit it on the point, you know, hit it on the nail on the head perfectly regarding the movie. Um, so I definitely agree with you there. I want to ask though, did you ever get that sense of her characters in danger? Cause I feel like every time she was on her own doing her thing, I was like, Oh my God, she's going to die. Um, I mean, yeah, you do get a little sense of that. Um, especially with, um, the Naveen Andrews character, the, the fellow from lost, you know, he's like this mm-hmm. bomb. Um, what do you call it? Uh, he, he, uh, deactivates, Bombs, that's not the word, but you know what I'm talking about, where he's going, he's in that pit, and he's trying to um, make it so it can't blow up. I mean, I'm obviously not a technical person, but you get that sense that there is danger among them, that even if they're not in a war zone per se, that a a stray landmine or missile could take them off, you know, so you do get that sense of, um, a looming danger, even if it's not obvious. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can see what you're saying with that. 
Yeah. And I agree. I think, I think Minosha is a, that's the best way to put her. She's not a movie star. She's not an actress. I think she's a world, world actor. Yeah. Because it seems that she appears in every country's cinema. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. Her her work in Clouds of Sils Maria, I think, is still one of her some of her best work she's ever done. Yeah. And I'm just uh, uh, she's one of those actresses that yes, she's constantly working and she's pulling out these great indie critic darlings of performances, but she's not getting the credit she deserves from the bigger academies. Yeah, that's probably mostly true. I mean, she gets the credit from the filmmakers she works with who truly value her and, you know, critics love her. And so she has her following. She just, she doesn't have that movie star persona. And I think, I I think I read somewhere that the only, she said she did the movie Godzilla to prepare for her role in Clouds of Sils Maria. Yeah. Because her character in Clouds of Sils Maria is a world actress who does these Hollywood blockbusters basically just to make money. And that's it. And that's, and supposedly I don't know if she was saying, I don't know if this was a joke on her part or not, but she claimed that's why she did Godzilla in real life is because that's what her character in Clouds of Sils Maria would have done, which I, which if that's true, I think that's hilarious. I mean, yeah, anyone who saw Godzilla, spoiler alert, she dies in the first 10 minutes. So, mm-hmm. you know, she did it and made, you know, it was her own little personal joke. So good for her. Go, Juliet. I'm into it. Uh, next up, we have Joan Allen nominated for The Crucible. This is her second of three nominations, previously up for Nixon. Uh, going into this, she wins the Critics' Choice Award and the Empire Award, and she's recognized with the Golden Globes, the Boston Film Critics, and the Chicago Film Critics. In The Crucible, Joan Allen plays Elizabeth Proctor, a woman accused of being a witch by her husband's former mistress. So thoughts on Joan Allen in The Crucible? I love jo- Joan Allen. I think Joan Allen is a forgotten masterpiece when it comes to acting um, in a lot that she does. I find it funny that she is the only acting nomination from the crucible when you had Daniel day Lewis right there. Um, With that said, I think what she's doing here is really good. I can see why she got nominated. Um, The crucible of course is a classic tale of, the Salem Witch Trials and Hearsay, and I think it's a brilliantly written piece of American literature. Well, is it American or is it considered? Yeah, I guess it is American. Uh, yeah, Arthur Miller's American. Yeah, I don't know why for a second I it might I thought it might have been British, but then it would have made no sense. So I just bear with me, people. Um, yeah, I I really like what she's doing here. Um, I think Elizabeth Proctor could be played one of two ways you could have her just come off the rails crazy or you could do what alan did and you and she really grounded this character she made her seem like the victim she actually was um and i and i and i appreciate that take on her because i've seen some productions of the crucible where even though you know what's happening you kind of just like take this bitch away from me um and alan didn't do that here what do you think about it yeah, so do you you recall, um, I believe it was last week, when uh, Andrew Carden mentioned how Joan Allen can stand up to any of her co-stars with no problem whatsoever? Mm-hmm. She does that here in The Crucible. Like you were saying, in her mm-hmm. scenes with Daniel Day-Lewis or Paul Schofield, who I think also should have been nominated for this, she yes. doesn't seem like she is putting up much of a fight to stand her own ground here. Um, I think she does a remarkable job with Elizabeth uh, Proctor. 
I actually really like The Crucible and Arthur Miller. Um, it's kind of my cup of tea. So I was really enjoying uh, revisiting this film that I hadn't seen in many years. Um, I think Joan Allen is one of the best parts about it. Um, she's a force to be reckoned with here. Um, you can tell that she uh, is a character who no one in this movie who's close to her really wants to mess with in a way, you know, like Daniel day Lewis is John Proctor. You know, he, uh, he understands that his wife is not someone to be mess around, messed around with. And when they're having their domestic, uh, conversations about his former flame played by, you know, Winona Ryder, he's kind of, uh, struggling to stand his own ground, I think in a lot of those scenes. And I, and Joan Allen is, you know, part of that reason. She's a for, quite a formidable performer in this film. I really admire Joan Allen's work in The Crucible. Yeah, and, you know, going into this, uh, you know, this is her second consecutive nomination in this category, um, right after last year's Nixon. And so while filming this, she wasn't, she might have been, no, I don't think, no, she wouldn't have been nominated yet. So um, she wasn't really a quote-unquote name. And uh, going into this, you had Schofield, Ryder and Day Lewis as the names. And I think, again, she could have easily been a character you just didn't care about. And I'm pretty sure the narrative going into this was, oh my God, this is the Winona Ryder crazy crucible movie. And she makes it hers. Yeah. And leaving this, you almost forget, at least I did, that Ryder's in the film. Yeah, because upon first glance, you think this is going to be a vehicle for Ryder, especially yeah. after that opening scene with the the cult worship and the blood and the spells and all that stuff, you think this is going to be a, a cuckoo bananas roller coaster ride for Winona Ryder. Right. And it ends up being a subtly powerhouse performance for Joan Allen mm-hmm. when it's all said and done. And I think uh, Joan Allen is a very uh, talented performer and how she was able to sort of steal the spotlight from Winona Ryder, who at this point was a two-time nominee. Yep. So, yeah, Joan Allen uh, pretty, doing some pretty good work here. Kudos to you, Joan. Kudos. Go, Joan. <laughs> so next we had Lauren Bacall, uh, nominated for The Mirror Has Two Faces. This is her first and only competitive Oscar uh, nomination, that is. She would go on to receive an honorary Oscar in 2010, Going into this, she wins the Golden Globe and the SAG, so you could say she was a bit of a frontrunner here, and she's recognized at the BAFTAs as well. In The Mirror Has Two Faces, Lauren Bacall plays Hannah Morgan, the opinionated mother of Barbara Streisand's Rose, and Rose and Hannah also live together, so it makes for uh, quite a few spats. So thoughts on Lauren Bacall in The Mirror Has Two Faces. Okay, so I've been waiting for us to get to this one for quite some time for many a reasons. Um, let me just start from past history. I have a thing for Streisand supporting women. Obviously I gave it to Amy Irving and Yentl and I gave it to Kate Nelligan a couple weeks ago in the Prince of Tides. Um, Bacall is not one I'm a huge fan of though. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a cute little performance but other than it being a cute little performance, she's really not doing anything here that even worthy of a nomination, in my opinion. She's just a, a really snippy, you know, Jewish mother. And we've seen that before. 
Um, it's, it, it's nothing that's a stretch. And the reason that I've been wanting to talk about this and what plays a lot into my hatred of the it's her or it's his time narrative of the politicalness of the Oscars is the fact that that's exactly how this campaign worked. Going into Oscar night, she was considered a lock. I mean, it was like, this is Lauren Bacall's time. There's no way she's losing. And so it's one of my favorite reactions watching Julia Pinocha's name called because everyone's mouth dropped to the floor. Like there was like an uttered shriek you could hear in the audience. And it, it that's, I think, why I got so so upset with the Glenn Close thing this past year. It's because it, it's taking away from the other performances around them. And instead, it's focusing on the narrative. And I think, in my eyes, the narrative of It's Her Time started here with Bacall. And it's why I can't stand it, because of Bacall. Um, and I think, just like Bacall and like Glenn Close, the right, you know, the, the right outcome was the right one. And that's my two cents on it. But yeah, the performance is, not, it, it, it's cute. It's fine. But it, it's nothing special. What about you? Yeah, I think it's a perfectly fine performance. Um, I love Lauren Bacall. She's, you know, a legend of old Hollywood. I mean, just to name a few, I mean, the big sleep to have and have not. I mean, she's been around and she is synonymous with classic Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I think she's she's doing fine here in the mirror has two faces. I don't think she's being um, challenged in any way as a performer, but that's not to say that she's bad because, I mean, she shows up and she turns it out and she does what she needs to do to make this character as rounded as possible and to be the um, antagonist in a way to her daughter, played by Barbara Streisand, and she has some fun lines and she it's a it's a fun performance and it draws you in in that way that it needs to but i can't say that i'm entirely over the moon with it um i can see how the quote unquote overdue factor could have definitely been playing a role here i mean lauren bacall as legendary as she is had never been nominated for a, a competitive oscar at this point and of course she hadn't yet received her honorary award so i could see why some people would want to make that happen um but you know like we said on previous episodes you and i both don't really go for that narrative Mm -hmm. um here in the mirror's two faces i think it's she's doing fine i mean i don't know what else to really say um i do like her in it i just like lauren bacall but i can't say that this performance really wowed me in any way especially considering the, the other things that she had done in decades past yeah, I agree with that sentiment. It's just, it baffles me that this is the one that we got her a nomination for, but, like, what? Yeah, it, mm, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I even mean, the Murder on the Orient Express would have been better, you know what I mean? Or why not Misery, you know? Yeah, so... I mean, she's in, like, two scenes of Misery, but, I mean, they're delightful scenes. Yeah, but still, I agree, you know? There, it, it's just, it could have been so much better. She yeah. deserved so much better. Right. She deserved recognition in the 40s. Yeah. You know, or even, hell, with Murder on the Orient Express. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't say that I find even the character of Hannah Morgan all that interesting. I think Bacall does some interesting stuff with it, and she brings her to life in her own way. But I can't say that I found her performance all that compelling. Yeah, I agree with that. 
I'm glad we're on the same page with this one. Yeah. Um, so next up, we had Barbara Hershey nominated for Portrait of a Lady. This is her first and only nomination, which I think is a crime, by the way. And mm-hmm. going into this, she wins the Los Angeles Film Critics and the National Society of Film Critics. And she's recognized with the Golden Globes, with the New York and Chicago Film Critics as well. In Portrait of a Lady, Barbara Hershey plays Madame Serena Merle, or Merle. I can't recall how to pronounce it. She is a diabolical woman scheming to steal Nicole Kidman's money. So thoughts on Barbara Hershey and Portrait of a Lady. Man, those are life goals. Scheming, Scheming. to get all that money. Scheming to get all that money. You'll get um, there someday. <laughs> oh, God, it's really hard watching other people live out your dreams. Um, I, okay. I am not a huge fan of this movie. The only reason why I would watch it is for the ridiculous, over-the-top Shelley Duvall and for Barbara Hershey. Um, I think the movie's okay. You know, it's available on, at least when I watched it, it was back up on Amazon Prime. Um, And for some reason, and I don't know what it is, this movie seems to fly by every viewing I've had of it. Um, but Hershey is definitely the bright star in this dull picture, in my opinion. I think her her cunningness and her willingness to get what or to do whatever she has to do to get what she wants is beautiful. Um, I am a little baffled that this is her only nomination. I mean, God, Black I almost said Black Christmas. Uh Black Swan, uh The Last Temptation of Christ last summer. I mean, all of these were great, great performances by her. Um, even Insidious, God, she was good in Insidious. Um, so it's just a little weird to me that we're also looking at another nominee who this is her sole nom. Um, give, so far, you know, so far, hashtag justice for Barbara Hershey. Um, but yeah, I think what she's doing here is really, really good. I like it. I, I think it's, um, I don't think it's, you know, it goes down in history as like one of the best all time supporting actress nominations, but I think it's one of the best of the nineties. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I love a devious dame, like as past uh, episodes will reveal. Um, So I was really enjoying her performance in this movie, and I actually liked this movie more than I expected to. I thought it was really going to drag in that way that a lot of other films of this nature tend to for me. But Mm -hmm. I think Jane Campion has a way of making it very energetic. I know a lot of people really don't care for this movie from what I've seen. But I found it kind of interesting in a way. I kind of thought the the pace and the liveliness of it was sort of what I needed it to be. I guess that's not what a lot of other people wanted it to be, but I dig, I, I was digging it. Um, also, let's not forget that the queen herself, Shelley Winters, is in this film. Just have to throw yes. that out there. Can't yes. forget her. Um, but as far as Barbara goes, I think she's just delicious in this movie. Um Every scene she was in, I was eating it up. Um, she was she was giving me basically everything that I needed her to give me in this and more. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say other than uh, she she was taking me on a ride and I was happy to be along for it. I agree. I think she's doing really good work here, and I think it just goes to show the underratedness of Barbara Hershey. And goddamn, is she good here? Yeah. I mean, the movie has a has um, it employs some very interesting techniques, and Jane Campion is definitely playing with 
form a lot. And so perhaps that's what turned off a lot of people. And I think Barbara Hershey's sort of somewhat unhinged performance, like she's like a, like a pot that's boiling and the lids on top of it and the lids like shaking a little bit, you know, it's about to explode any minute yet somehow stays on. That's kind of the vibe that she gives me in this movie Mm because you can tell there's something like burning up inside her and she's just trying to be as evil as possible while playing it totally cool. And there's something that I really uh, jibe with there. I know I've said this numerous times about what I needed that creepiness and diabolical villain to be. But imagine her as Nurse Ratchet after seeing this. Oh, sure, yeah. That'd be fun. So good. I like it. I do, too. <laughs> Next, we had uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, nominated for Secrets and Lies. This is her first and only nomination, and she does not win anything major going into this, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes and the BAFTAs. In Secrets and Lies, Marianne Jean-Baptiste plays Hortense, an optometrist who decides to seek out the woman who gave birth to her following the death of her mother. So thoughts on Marianne Jean-Baptiste in Secrets and Lies. I mean, goddamn, if here is another brilliant actress who I can't figure out why she only has one nomination and why the fuck she isn't used more in film. I know, I know she works a lot in Britain on the stage, um, but I mean, good Lord, is she good here? I remember I visited, this was my first real taste in the Mike Lee um, almost a decade ago when I was working at Blockbuster. And I really think it's my favorite of his films still. Um, and I think it's a brilliant, brilliant message in a film that could have been very messy trying to understand Hortense's side. And I think what Marianne Jean-Baptiste is doing here is so brilliant in the fact that she never takes anything offensive this is new to her just like it's new to everybody else around her and it's a learning experience and i think she does really really well here and so for years and years and years you know i was very much oh my god team baptiste and then i went to revisit this and i got really sad again because god damn if she's not a lead and it makes me real sad to say that, um, but she deserves it. But yeah, she's in the wrong category here. Yeah, there's definitely a strong argument to be made that Baptiste and Blethen are co-leads in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Hortense is basically the inciting character. Basically, all of the plot and the drama happens because of her, because of yep. her decision to seek out the woman who gave birth to her. And uh, that's where a lot of the family, uh, family drama comes in. And throughout the entire film, she is a very, very necessary component who's pushing the plot forward and the plot is reflected upon her and her decisions. So I think there's definitely a strong argument to be made that she's in the wrong category here. And performance wise, I think she's beautiful. Um, this is a really remarkable performance, and I can see why some people would say that she's not doing anything, but I, I disagree with that quite a bit. Um, I think when you put her and Blethen side by side, it might look that way, because we'll get to Blethen in a little bit, but she definitely has more emotional stuff to do. She's at least putting it forward more 
than Baptiste is. Um, but Baptiste is doing some really intricate, introspective work here. She's not putting out her her emotions into the ether for you to latch on to and fly away with. She's inviting you in to what she's feeling, really drawing you in in the polar opposite way that Blethyn is. Not that Blethyn's bad, and like I said, we'll get to her in a little bit, but I think Baptiste is doing some really great stuff here, even if it is highly possible that she's in the wrong category. Yeah, um, I she's got over an hour and 10 minutes of screen time in a two hour film. That's a lot. I yeah. mean, I know you and I definitely differ, differ on what is which, and especially after last week I, or last week's show when I, you know, you know, we definitely differed in where um, Sharon Stone was. And now I'm not so much different. I just kind of said, screw it. Um, but this is one where I, She's so good, and it's so sad because I can't – well, we'll get to it, but, you know, right. it's real sad. She deserves it. She deserves to win here. So anything else? That was our final supporting actress. All right, all right. So your lead actresses of 1996 were? Brenda Blethyn in Secrets and Lies. <laughs> Diane Keaton in Marvin's Room. Francis McDormand in Fargo. Kristen Scott Thomas in The English Patient. Emily Watson in Breaking the Waves. All right, starting us off is Kristen Scott Thomas as Catherine Clifton in The English Patient. This was her sole nomination so far. Going into Oscar night, she had the nominations at Golden Globe, uh, at the Golden Globes for Lead Actress in a Drama, the BAFTA nomination, the National Society of Film Critics, National Society of Film Critics nomination in the supporting category, and the SAG nomination in Lead. She then again tied with Binoche at the National Board of Review for Best Supporting Actress, and in the English Patient again, Kristen Scott Thomas plays Catherine, who is the mistress and lover of this beautiful creature known as Ray Fiennes who um, opens up a whole new world of love while having to be in the secret shadows of their surroundings and uh, ends up paying a devastating price in the end. So Brandon, what do you think of uh, Kristen Scott Thomas? Um, I like her in The English Patient. I mean, like I said before, it's not a movie that I'm particularly fond of, Um, but I think Thomas perhaps has a little bit more to do action-wise than Binoche. I mean, the stuff that takes place in the past leading up to her tragic death, I think has a little bit more drive to it. So I think in that way, she's given a little bit more to do, so to speak. Um, I think she's doing some really wonderful stuff here, um, but she's not like Binoche. I mean, it's not really a performance that I'm really left thinking about when the movie's over. Um I think she makes a as well-rounded of a character as she can with the material that she's given, um, which in terms of runtime is quite a bit of material. But um, I'm just kind of okay with it. Um, as far as category goes, I again, I'm not sure who is honestly more lead 
between the two women. I feel like they have equal-ish screen time. And I guess Thomas is part of the more action-driven timeline, if that makes sense. So I can see why people might lean toward her when it comes to who's pushing the story forward, so to speak. But um, I guess really this is Ray Fiennes' story primarily. So I, I guess an argument could be made that both women are co-supporting his story. I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a tricky on-the-fence situation when it comes to that. But uh, her performance, I think, is perfectly admirable. Um, I don't love it, but I really don't really have all that much all that much to complain about performance wise. Most of my complaints just go to the film itself, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think you hit it on the head. I think it's okay. I don't think it's like, you know, it's nothing to write home about. It's, it, it's, it's a performance that's there. Um, I do think she is in the wrong category here. I do find her more supporting and Benoche more lead. Um, so I do think this is a category fraud, um, nomination. Um, yeah, I guess I guess my feelings just stay the same as you and as I said with Benoche, is that like the movie just sucks really bad and it's 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 okay of acting wise. I mean sure, but um if anything sticks out for me the most and it's not even so much the acting, I think it's like the voyeuristic sex scene that they're like getting it on right pretty much divided by like blinds to this party. Um, I'm super into that just cause I'm super voyeuristic when it comes to my own sexual life. So like, I'm like, Oh, that's really hot. Um, like you're but, the voyeur or you want to, to be voyeured. Uh, I just made voyeur a verb. No, it's fine. I see what you mean. I, I definitely in, entice the voyeuristic nature. Like if I can totally get away with a, like a hand job at the bar, I'm going to do that type person. Um, like yeah. while you're shaking drinks? No, not as I'm working. Hashtag oh. holy shit. Um, no, like if I go to the bar, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I've totally been in a bar and given head in a bathroom before because I'm a classy lady. Um, and the idea of being caught is, you know, really turns me on. So like I was really into that scene and that's kind of what sticks the most out for me. So I don't know if that answered your question at all. Oh, I'm just being um, silly. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's okay. I can live or live without this performance, and I prefer to live without it, so. Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah, moving on. Okay. Okay, we have Diane Keaton next as Bessie in Marvin's Room. This is her third of four nominations, um, winning for Annie Hall, falling Reds, and then she would have this, and then Something's Gotta Give next decade. Um uh, going into Oscar night, she only had a SAG nomination for Best Leading Actress because Meryl Streep had the Golden Globe nomination. And then Keaton ends up with this nomination here. So in Marvin's Room, again, I'm sorry, Diane Keaton plays Bessie, who hasn't seen her sister in 25 years. And they get reunited when Bessie gets the information that she has got cancer and there she needs a donation of bone marrow and family would help, and the movie is just a big old interesting pot of pie. So, what do you think about this movie? One performance. Um, I think it's fine. Um, it feels very Sunday evening TV movie of the week. 
um, mm -hmm. in terms of the film's production and its tone and the way it's executed and, frankly, Diane's performance. Because it's kind of, um, I don't know if hammy is the right word, but it feels like a performance, if that makes sense. Like, I, this is not Diane Keaton's most lived-in role. Um, it definitely feels like she's, you know, performing for us. I don't really know a different way to put that, but it's, I'm not very enthusiastic about this, this, uh, this going, this, this outing for Diane Keaton whatsoever. Um, I think this is probably her weakest nomination, to be honest. Uh, and I really, we talked about Kristen Scott Thomas, we could live without, I could definitely, I could live without this one more, to be honest. Um, how do you feel about it? Um, yeah, I think this is her best. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this is also her worst nomination. This is, um, Diane Keaton had a very quirky year. That was 1996 between this and First Wives Club. And I honestly think it was like the power of the First Wives Club that got this nomination going. Um, because I mean, if I'm going to nominate between the two, not that I, both of them, I don't think really deserved it, but Meryl is definitely playing the better part here. Um, and doing a lot more. I just think this is um, this is a f prime definition of a filler nomination. They needed someone to fill this category, and this is who it was. I do find it odd that Gwen Verdon didn't get a nomination here because she did get a SAG nomination for Best Supporting, and I think she's pretty good um, as the quirky aunt. But, yeah, this isn't great. This is um, – I'm more annoyed every time Diane speaks – in this movie than anything. Um, there's something about her character that just makes me want to like bang my head against a wall. And I don't think she's doing herself any favors by doing this performance. Um, I would also like to note that it's very odd to me that when the first wives presented at the Oscars that year, while on stage, they were talking about Diane Keaton's nomination and both Bette Midler and Goldie Hawn said they voted for her on stage. So they were fans, but I'm not. Well, they were friends. I don't know if they were fans of the performance. But, um, yeah, I don't know if this movie is really doing anyone any favors. I mean, even Meryl and Leo, I mean, they're just fine in it. I, I think I can see why Meryl would get more some recognition as well. I mean, she, I guess you could say, is giving the showier performance. And she's kind of this messy mom that a lot of people tend to gravitate toward and you know leo's out there giving one of his early early rebellious roles and you know that's fun but um yeah i mean this movie is just actively okay for me and even okay is a bit of a stretch because i wasn't really feeling it this is like the this is a mom movie to the max and I wasn't really feeling it, just in general, especially Diane. Yeah, it definitely feels like this was a movie made for Lifetime that got a theatrical release, mm, which yeah. is weird because then you had a movie like Testament that was made for TV but was so good that it was theatrical, theatrically released. Like, talk about really different styles of filmmaking for these quote-unquote TV movies. Um, yeah, I'm good. Same. All right, then, because we are both so good. 
Uh, moving on to this year's winner, Frances McDormand as Marge Gunderson in Fargo. This is her second of five nominations, but her first win. She would win a couple decades down the line, actually recently, for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, going into Oscar night, she is nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Comedy Actress, nominated for the BAFTA, but she wins the Critic Choice, wins the Spirit, is nominated for the L.A. Film Critics Association, wins the National Board of Review, the National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics nominated her, but she wins at SAG. So she was all over the board with winning and, and losing this year, but she ultimately won the prize. In Fargo, um, Francis plays a very pregnant very, very about to burst pregnant uh, police officer who has to figure out who killed who in a murder case that seems to have gone awry. So what do you think about Francis in Fargo? Um, so Fargo is kind of a little bit of a special movie for me. Um, Fargo was the first movie that Seth and I watched together on a little at-home date when we first started seeing each other. Aww. Uh, so special movie. Um, I really, really like Frances McDormand in Fargo. Uh, Marge Gunderson is one of, I think, the best heroes in all of film. I find her so captivating and so interesting. And I want um, I want Marge's version of Murder, She Wrote. Like, I know there's a Fargo television <laughs> series, but I want, like, the Marge show. And I think she and her husband, Norm, are hashtag goals to the max. Um, They're just a beautiful couple. Uh, Marge, I think, is hilarious when she needs to be. Her reactions, uh, particularly when she's interviewing those two, were they hookers or strippers? Oh, I was going to bring that up too. Yeah, the strippers. That's, that scene is just magic. And oh, yeah. Frances McDormand's reactions and her oh yeahs are just so <laughs> good. Um, and I think she's just great. <laughs> uh, I'll let you take over for a little bit. Yeah, I think she's wonderful. Um, I'm, I, I think you hit it on the head. She is very much there. Her comedic timing is perfect. The, oh, yeah, with everything is just really, really wonderful. Um, this movie is a very brisk 98 minutes. Which I like, love. Yes, I appreciate it. It goes by very, very fast. Um, I also timed this, that Marge doesn't show up on screen in this 98 minutes. Now, mind you, seven minutes of those 98 minutes are the end credits. So 91 minutes of, of story time. Marge doesn't show up on screen until like 38, 39 minutes into this movie. And then she's on and off for the rest of the film. I am not convinced she's in the right category here. Um, I think William H. Macy is definitely in the wrong category of supporting actor this year. I think he's, this is his story. It's um, definitely a lead. But I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to invoke your rules here. Marge just plays a part in his story. Um, yeah, we end with her really. Um with the whole wood chipper and everything, but I'm not convinced she's in the right category here. I agree with you that William H. Macy is in the wrong category here because I think they're co-leads. I think the, the POV of this story changes at a certain point in the movie. It definitely starts off with Macy and he's the one who puts pretty much all this into place. Mm -hmm. 
But at a certain point in the story, Marge enters, and she's the one really driving and putting the pieces together, and it finishes because of her. So it's a very interesting narrative technique that the Coens are employing here in Fargo. But I think I think they're co-leads because the POV switches halfway through the movie or a third of the way. I don't know the, the, the fraction. But at a certain point, it becomes her show. Even if she's not in every single scene, she's the one bringing all the puzzle pieces back together. She's like the glue that's putting every scene in place, and she's the one that concludes it. She's sort of like the through line for the second half of the story after William H. Macy's plan goes awry. So I think William H. Macy is in the wrong category, but I'm okay with uh, Frances McDormand being here. I think Marge is a perfect character for this narrative technique because I think she's very fun and charming and smart, and she's a damn hero. Um, So, yeah, I'm okay with Marge being in lead. Heard, heard. Uh, yeah, I was going to bring up the stripper interview interview scene. I think it's hilarious. Now, um, this is not the first time we're also talking about a Coen Brothers film, and it won't I, it won't be the last. Wait, I'm trying to think really quick. Has any of the other women been nominated for Coen Brothers? I'm sure it'll hit me as soon as we're done recording. But yeah, right I'm now, not very good on the spot. No, right now I want to say no, so this might be it for now for a while. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Coen brothers. I don't like their films. Fargo is one that I do enjoy, though. Um, Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. We'll get to her. Yes. Um, <laughs> true. Great. That's a whole other topic. Um, yeah, I, I don't like the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers are, are in the category of films I don't like with like with Woody Allen films. Um, but Fargo, I think, is a special one. I think I think it's really I like a good black comedy and Fargo is definitely it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Fargo. I think it's it's a, a remarkable piece of modern cinema. Mm-hmm. Dare I ask how Fargo was chosen on your first date with him at home? Um, I think we were scrolling through the movies he had on iTunes, and it was a winter night, and that was one that he hadn't seen yet. And I was like, oh, that's a really good movie. And he was like, do you want to watch it? And I was like, okay. And so that's how <laughs> Fargo was picked. That uh, was our first date. You now you realize now it has to be a Fargo themed wedding. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's oh that's, yeah. <laughs> there it is. I set you up perfectly. I'm so glad you got it. All right. Uh, coming up next, we had Brenda Bleffen as Cynthia in Secrets and Lies. This is her first of two nominations. Um, she'd been nominated again two years later for Little Voice in the supporting category, but in this year, going into Oscar night. She was going head-to-head for that Oscar with uh, Frances McDormand because she wins the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama, wins the BAFTA, wins the Cannes Film Festival Best Actress Award, wins the LA Film Critics Association Award, and is nominated at the National Society of Film Critics and the SAG Awards. Um, In Secrets and Lies, uh, Bleffin again plays Cynthia, who is a woman who needs Jesus and a little bit of help and some makeup and some perfume, a little spritz. But no, she is um she she's a woman who kind of gets a rude awakening when a long lost daughter um comes back into her life. What do you think about Brenda Blethen? So I mean, talk about a showcase for Brenda Blethen. I mean, that phone call scene alone had to be a lock for a lot of these awards for her. I mean, 
even when she's not saying anything, when she's just listening on the phone, when she speaks with Hortense, it's a, it's, it's a powerhouse performance. Um, and Cynthia is, you know, a, a, a barrel of crazy and a half. I mean, she's, she's messy in the most delightful way. Um, and I think Brenda Blethyn plays her beautifully. Um, I'm always feeling something when she's on screen, whether I'm laughing at something she's saying or doing, or I'm, I feel bad for her. I pity her or judging her despite, you know, better judgment. Um, yeah, Brenda Blethyn's really doing a whole lot here in Secrets and Lies, and I can see why this performance was so beloved by people and why a lot of people reflect on this year and, and she's their winner. Um, I can definitely see that. So, I, yeah, I think she's doing some really uh, cool stuff here in Secrets and Lies. Yeah, I agree with you. I think she's she's so good here. Um, I, I want to know how close she was to winning the, the Oscar though, because it had to have been a nail biter. Um, I honestly feel like the race came between her and McDormand. Um, but it, this, this performance is you're just as exhausted watching this at the end as it must have been blessed into film. Take after take after take of that phone call scene. Right. Um, She's shaking. She's shaking, trying to have a cigarette. She's got tears rolling down her eyes. She's baby daughter. Like she's like all over. That's my terrible Brenda Blethyn impression, by the way. Um, it, it's just it's such an emotional journey, and it's such a 180 of what we'll get from her with Little Voice, which we'll talk about in two weeks. But it is exhausting to get through this performance. And in the best of ways, um, I think what she's doing is so beautiful and tragic, and I'm into everything she's here, doing here. Um, I definitely think this is a co-lead instance with her and Marianne Jean-Baptiste, and head-to-head, I don't even know if I, like, oh, God, oh, God, that would have been intense if, it was, if the best actress race was just, like, two nominees, and it was, like, Blethyn and Baptiste. What a race that would be. Um, but yeah, I think what she's doing here is really good. I'm into it. Yeah, I think you use the perfect word here. This is an exhausting performance. Um, she really pulls the energy out of the viewer here in Secrets and Lies. She has like, her magnetism is like a like a black hole of emotion. You know, she's just like pulling everything out of you. And she like, it's almost a performance that demands your energy while you're watching it. And that is like a really special testament to Brenda Blethyn. I think she's doing some remarkable stuff here. Yeah, I agree. I wish she would do more. I wish she was given more opportunities now because I could see Blethyn getting something really juicy and coming back for an Oscar comeback. So, I mean, speaking of Marge having her own murder mystery show, I'm pretty sure Blethyn does have her own murder mystery show in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Or she did for a while, where she was just going around solving murders. I'm into all of it. Give me, give, give it to me, please. I want it. I would like to watch it. I would, too, actually. I, I'd watch it. <laughs> I love a good murder mystery. I love a good murder mystery, and I love a good uh, office, like, or, um, I'm sorry, courtroom drama. Right. So, our final nominee... Okay. 
Emily Watson as Bess McNeil in Breaking the Waves. This is Emily's first of two nominations. She, um, she would follow this up with a nomination in 98 for Hillary and Jackie, which we'll get to in two weeks as well. Um, going to Oscar night, she had nominations from Golden Globes for Lead in a Drama and the BAFTAs, and then wins from the National Society of Film Critics and the New York Film Critics Associations. Um, in Breaking the Waves, this is Emily's debut pe- debut performance. Emily plays, again, a woman named Bess who, who's highly Irish, Catholic, Protestant religion is very much undermining who she is as a woman. It's very do this, not this. She can't go to certain things. Um, therefore, she's never really experienced life, until, including sex, until she meets a man, gets married. They start doing it all over. He gets hurt, and is, she's then told to go experience sex with other people. She becomes a Jezebel, and it automatically leads to her demise. So what do you think of this? Um, I really like this movie and Emily Watson in it. I think this is a really gorgeous performance from Emily Watson. Um, I'm so captivated by this character throughout the entire film. I find her so multifaceted and three-dimensional and complex and complicated. And whatever journey she's on, I want to be on it with her. Um, this is a per- another performance kind of like Brenda Blethyn where I feel multiple different things from point to point throughout this film. Um, and I think Emily Watson is just beautiful in it. Uh, how do you feel about her? Um, I like this, but I don't think I'm as enthralled with it as you are, because I really don't like this movie. I'm I'm not the biggest Lars von Trier fan. I thought Melancholia was okay. I think Dancer in the Dark is still his best movie. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like what he's doing there with Bjork. I think she, now that is an Oscar-worthy performance. not saying that this isn't. This is good, but I'm not wowed by it. Like, I see... I see what could have been, and I wonder if it should have been. And what I mean by that is I think Watson does really, really well with, like, this weird dual role she almost has as Bess and then God speaking to her through Bess. And I would have liked to see a little bit more of that crazy. Um, I think she's really, really good at reserving it, but... There's something missing from this performance. And, like, when we did our four-year consideration ad for this on our uh, Twitter, I was very taken back by how many people that were like, oh, my God, best performance ever. Yes, win, win, win. And it's a little underwhelming for me. I feel like this performance was put on a pedestal. And then when I first saw it, I was like, okay. But I like it. I'm, I'm not enthralled by it. Yeah, um, I think Watson also has a lot of the circumstances of the film working for her. Um, like the whole thing with feeling feeling responsible for what happens to her husband, because her husband, um, by the nature of his job, has to work far from home, and she wants him home, so she sort of prays to God that he'll come back to her, and of course he gets very badly injured, and she feels responsible for that, and then he wants her to go off and have sex with other men because he can't do that for her, and she gets put in all these really weird situations. And 
they're kind of terrifying in a way. And I think Emily Watson really nails that sort of morbid curiosity of this entire situation where she wants to explore and also please her husband, but she's also really uncomfortable and scared. And the situation's honestly kind of really fucked up, yet also weirdly romantic in a really twisted way. And I think Watson handles the material very carefully. And there's something about it that just really does something for me. There you go. Yeah, I think I think it's good. And I think it's for a debut performance. It's interesting. I um, like I said, I, I kind of view it and I'm like, oh, what could have been? So I'm, I'm glad I'm definitely glad that as much as we agreed with the last one, this one kind of gave us a little different take on each each uh, viewing here. Yeah. So shall we get to the rankings? OK. As a reminder, your supporting actresses were Juliette Binoche in The English Patient, Joan Allen in The Crucible, Lauren Bacall in The Mirror Has Two Faces, Barbara Hershey in The Portrait of a Lady, and Marianne Jean-Baptiste in Secrets and Lies. And I'm putting Marianne Jean-Baptiste at number five because I think she is a co-lead with uh, Brenda Blethyn, despite how great her performance is. She has to be my number five for that reason. That's understandable, um, and I don't fault you at that. I'm glad that you see the brilliance of her role for sure. But I have to get Binoche five. Um, I think Binoche is definitely the lead of the two ladies in The English Patient. And, yeah, I got to put her at five. I'm putting Binoche at four. I'm sort of on the fence about her placement. Um, it's not quite as obvious to me as Jean-Baptiste's placement being wrong is. Um, also, I think Binoche, while doing some really careful work, is not really doing anything to wow me. I'm not sure how how much she's really being stretched as an artist here in The English Patient. Um, so d- category aside, I think it's, it's a perfectly all right performance. So she's getting my number four. Heard that. Well, we're switching because I do have to put Marion Jean-Baptiste at four which I really, really, really don't want to because I do think she deserves to win. But um, between the two ladies who I who I believe are category fraud, Baptiste does better work than Binoche. Um, that's why I didn't put her at five. And I think it's beautiful, and I'm really, really sad to do this, but it has to be. I'm putting Lauren Bacall at number three. It's another perfectly all right performance that I don't think is really challenging its performer anyway. Um, but something you can say about Bacall is that it is a more classically supporting role in her film. Um, so Bacall gets my number three. Bacall also gets my number three. So we're we're a little twinsying right now with this. Um, yeah, I it's okay. But the only reason why I think it got anything was because of the it's her time political campaigning strategy and. Let's just say she wouldn't be three if Baptiste and Binoche weren't leads. Okay. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am giving my runner-up spot to Barbara Hershey for Portrait of a Lady, and I'm giving the win to Joan Allen for The Crucible. Barbara Hershey, um, I could eat what she's serving all day. I think it's a really fun role in a film that could have been a stodgy, boring period piece that Jane Campion 
really brings to life in this sort of 90s MTV kind of way that I really dig, that apparently a lot of other people don't dig, and that's fine, whatever. But Joan Allen, um, I think, is just fantastic in The Crucible. Um, she stands her ground in a way that I really respect, and she's one of those actors who I think can tell an entire story by just standing in one place and not saying anything. And she has absolutely no trouble sharing a scene with Daniel Day-Lewis or Paul Schofield, and I am on Elizabeth's team every step of the way. So Joan Allen, for the second year in a row, gets my Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Not that we've had many consecutives, but I think that might be a first for you. Yeah, it's the only the second time I've given um, an actress two Oscars. So there we go. Who was your first? Glenda Jackson. That's right. I don't I'm know why. I'm pretty sure it's the only other one. Yeah, I almost thought it was Whoopi, but then I remembered you were. Um, yeah, I did uh, not give it to her for Ghost. For Ghost, yeah, you gave it to uh, Lorraine. Lorraine Bracco, that's correct. Um, okay, heard that. Well, um, my runner-up that year is Joan Allen, and I'm giving it to Barbara Hershey. Um, I think what you said about Joan hit it on the head. I think she's perfect, um, and I don't fault you at all for giving her that win. I think it's a good win. Um, Barbara, though, this is really my only option to give it to her, and while that's not the only reason, I just really – she's the – She's the biggest standout and the only thing that I really like about Portrait of the Lady, and therefore, like, she does – she's standing out to me in the best of ways. And I have to appreciate it and have to, you know, give credit where credit's due, and it's enough for me to give her the win in this interesting category. So, I, Barbara, she is my winner. Okay. All right. So to recap, our lead, our leading ladies were Diane Keaton in Marvin's Room, Emily Watson in Breaking the Ways, Kristen's Got Thomas in The English Patient, Frances McDormand in Fargo, and Brenda Blethyn in Secrets and Lies. My number five is Kristen Scott Thomas. Number one, again, category fraud. But number two, it's an okay performance that's very take it or leave it, and I'm going to leave it, like I said. So what about you? Um, so I've been going back and forth on my four and five for a few reasons, but I'm just going to just make a decision. I'm also going to go ahead and give Kristen Scott Thomas the number five spot. It's not only for the category reasons. I mean, I'm very on the fence about her and Binoche, like I've said, but um, I think she's doing some perfectly fine stuff here. But I guess there's it's really not a right, anything to write home about for me. So I'm just going to go ahead and just throw her at number five. Heard, heard. Um, number four, I, I got to stick with it. I don't think she's in the right category. Um, Frances McDormand at number four, not because she's bad by any means. I think she's good. I think she's really good. Um, but I, it, it's weird that I'm having two of these in the same year. And just like Marianne Jean-Baptiste, she's the better of the two category frauds. So for me, I have to put McDormand at four. I'm putting Diane Keaton at five. Um, I don't really think she's all that good in Marvin's room whatsoever, but at least between her and Thomas, I guess you could say she's a clearer lead for whatever that's worth. So they've been my four and five for a while. And uh, I'm just going to say Keaton's four today. Heard that. Well, Keaton only gets the third spot because of the same reason Bacall got the third spot because I had to put the category frauds in some order. She's not anything to be – I don't even really think she should be there, but I have to put her somewhere. Keaton's okay. 
but it's a very it's a very weak nomination. So mm-hmm. my top three has been really hard. Um, I've been rotating these three quite a bit in my head, and this is one of those years where it's very possible the next week might it'll be a different order. But for right <laughs> now, um, I'm gonna go ahead and put Brenda Bleth in at number three. Um, I think this is a really powerful performance and she's definitely putting you through every single ringer but there's something about the way the other two performers work within their story that I think pulls me in a little bit more um, as a viewer so I'm going to put Brenda Bleffin at three today that actually gave me a little shook a little shook that gave me a little shook (sighs) okay so with reviewing this, you know, my final two, it should at this point be pretty clear who I'm going for. Um, but I'm giving Emily Watson the runner-up position, which means I'm rewarding Brenda Bluffin the Oscar. Um, yeah, I think Watson's okay. I don't even know if she, for me, she should be at two because it doesn't, it doesn't scream even runner-up to me. But I'm dealing with a very weak category in a way, I guess. I mean, the only other person who gave Blethyn a run for money was McDormand, but again, just didn't work for me here. Um, so Watson is a very, very weak runner-up. Um, Blethyn, brilliant, poignant, exhausting, um, beautiful, tragic, Oscar-worthy, should have won. Blethyn is my winner. How about you? Um, I'm giving Frances McDormand the runner-up, and I'm giving Emily Watson the win. I'm okay with Frances McDormand being in this category because of how her character works within the story from like a craft perspective. And I think Marge is a beautiful character, one of my favorite heroes in all of film. And she gives a hilarious and heart-pounding performance um, in Fargo. But there, so there's something about Emily Watson in Breaking the Waves. This was my second time watching the movie. I first saw Breaking the Waves several years ago when I was in school. And I remember being so overwhelmed by it and Emily Watson's performance at the time that even though over the years I have been meaning to rewatch this movie, I haven't because of the way it made me feel. It was almost like too much. Like... uh in a weird way. And I think a lot of that has to do with Emily Watson and the way she's really living this material and the way she's really bending and adhering to the tone and the POV and all the weird themes regarding sexuality and religion and the intersection of them. And there's just something that I find so intellectually complex about this film and the way Emily Watson pulls it all off. So she's my winner for the year. That actually took me by surprise. I did not expect you to go for that. I thought you would have gone for Bluffin for sure. Bluffin's great. I don't fault her whatsoever. And if she had won this in real life, I would not have any issue with it. Um, these, these three that um, I had left Watson, um, McDormand and Bluffin, I think are all great in their own ways and I could see a narrative for any of them winning. So um, it's very possible that on the next revisit, uh, Blethyn will be my winner. Uh, Cause I 
really do think she's great. But for right now, Emily Watson is just doing something for me that um, Blethyn and McDormand aren't. Hell yeah. Well, that was, um, I felt like this year was a little underwhelming for me. Yeah, I feel like these mid-90s, well, last last week was pretty good. But um, there's a few years here in the 90s, I mean, next week I think is another example, where <sighs> not super overwhelmed with them and don't have a whole lot to say about some of them other than, like, broad strokes, pro or against. <laughs> right. Um, per usual, always ask. Were you shook at all by any of these choices that I gave you? Um, no, Blethyn didn't surprise me, and I honestly wasn't positive where you were going prior to recording with supporting, but after hearing your your stance on Barbara Hershey, I had a feeling she was going to be up there. I didn't know if you would like the movie Portrait of a Lady. I thought your whether you liked it or not would have a an influence, so... After hearing you talk about her, I was like, okay, that's probably going to be his winner. So I wasn't surprised after that bit of the episode. Yeah, it was, um, I will say the only reason Hershey won is because um, Baptiste could not for me. But I think I definitely would have given it to Baptiste and just moved everyone else down like a notch. Oh, um, yeah. If we were just talking straight performance category aside, there's a strong chance that Jean-Baptiste would edge out Joan Allen for me. Yeah. But considering the Oscars have this whole category concept, uh, right. for, for me, Baptiste had to be disqualified today. Yes, yes. Um, all right. And uh, usually I keep forgetting in the last two episodes that we recorded to do this in the beginning. But I've started a new thing where I give a little fun fact about the Academy Awards from this awesome book that I have called The Academy Awards, The Complete Official History by Jim Piazza and Gail Kinner. And in 1996, this was a first. Director Joel Cohen and his star Francis McDormand were the first married couple to be nominated for the same film, Fargo, since John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins in 74 for Woman Under the Influence. Very cool. So, a little bit of uh, history was made there. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so 1996, though, I want to check really quick. I had to IMDb this. I feel like I'm correct and I can just say it without... Yes. So this was the year of Evita. Oh, okay. With Madonna. And the year of the People vs. Larry Flint, which have you ever seen? A long time ago. With Woody Harrelson and Courtney Love. Yes. Yeah, a long time ago. Courtney Love would have won this Oscar for me because she is fucking brilliant in Larry Flint. Now, she re- got- refresh my memory. Which category would she be in? lead um okay. the globes put her in as um comedy musical which is okay. interesting to me um i mean there are very funny moments in people versus larry flint but i don't know if i yeah but um yeah i i think it, it is um you know because madonna won the golden globe for best actress in a comedy musical and it has been so long since i've seen evita that i right now couldn't say that i i would put her into the Oscar category, but I know for sure I would have had Courtney Love be my winner if she had been here. Yeah, I definitely need to revisit that. I haven't seen either since maybe high school. So that's mm-hmm. why I could I couldn't remember Larry Flint clearly enough to say which category she'd be in. But um I definitely have to revisit that Aura Vita before saying wholeheartedly whether one of them should have bumped out someone. Yeah. 
It's um, there's an awesome sketch which I'll I'll send to you when we're done here on anyone who wants to see it that SNL did the year that this um that, that these nominations came out, and it's actually hilarious because it makes fun of the crazy type of um campaigning Madonna did, and it actually not that suicide's funny, but it ends with Madonna played by. Anna Gasteyer hanging herself live on air while um, Molly Shannon, who's playing Courtney Love, goes off the rails. And while Sherry O'Terry, who's playing, um, oh, God, what was her name? Debbie, uh, Carrie Fisher's mom. Oh, Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds as well. And it's like there are three actresses who were nominated for Golden Globes or one who didn't get into the Oscar category. And it is fucking hilarious. So I will send it to you. I will love to hear your input. And seriously, you guys can find it on YouTube. It's 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 considered an SNL vintage classic. So it's a really good sketch. Yeah, I love those three. Um, a Gasteyer, Shannon, and O'Terry were were some were a golden trio back then. Oh yeah, O'Terry O'Terry deserves better too. Truly. She's so funny. She's so funny. But guys, until next week. Yeah, I'm Joe Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwick. And this has been Academy Queens, your LGBT guy through the Oscars per category per decade. Thank you for making it over the hump with us. We're almost done. This is 1996. On the count of three, one, two, three, bye. Bye.